In the evening talk, I would like to speak about feeling experiences and the relationship of some of our feeling experiences to the activities which we are engaged in here together. Sometimes when Whenever we participate in any activity, we tend to prioritize. We look at a particular activity and we think of that activity as being important and valuable for us, often in particular ways. And once having gained some involvement in that activity, we change, we leave it behind and we go somewhere else and then, like as many of you here, come back to it. So with quite a few people in the hall here, you are familiar with the retreat situation. You've experienced it either here or elsewhere before and when you hear the word retreat, there are a variety of associations around the concept. And one thinks of oneself as stepping away from one's daily life situation, stepping into this, and there is probably some residue of memory from previous times. In that, I think quite often what the eye sees often has quite a strong registration upon us. And what the eye sees, of course, is colour, shape and form. And the form has had in the past an impact on us. So we come back into the situation, we begin uh, the formal meditation and sometimes we carry with it the idea and the wish to do it right. So we lend an ear to what the instructions are, we follow the methodology as it's prescribed, we listen to the evening talks, we take notice with regard to the, the guided meditations and the morning instructions and we regard that, as we would, as all part of the form. And it's useful in terms of the reminders and beneficial, but if there is an exaggerated disposition to the form, to the instructions, to following it correctly, what that can be is that that is at the expense of feelings. Now this scenario, shall we say, I think is a huge social problem. I think it, it can become a kind of pathology insofar as in many situations in many institutions, organisations, 
in the business world and the social world and other forms, getting it right and doing it right and doing it precisely and being efficient and having the model laid down pat is at immense cost to the inner life, to the feeling life. And I think we receive, and, I, and it can be here, just as much as, hopefully not quite as much, but anyway, it can be, <laughs> God, my prejudiced judgments. So it can be here and elsewhere where it's as though we look at the situation in which we are involved from an almost corporate model standpoint. And we've been conditioned into this. We've been conditioned in doing it just so, just right, and maximizing our energy, maximizing our efficiency, maximizing our mindfulness, maximizing our posture, etc. And what that does for us, in this view to what we are doing, is it brings from us a certain kind of sensation. We might describe that sensation of the efficiency, doing it right, doing it well, model, maximizing model. We might describe that sensation as pleasant, as there's a certain intensity to it, there's a, a real sense of direction and doing it, and we take that sensation and the intensity which can accompany it and the kind of purposefulness that goes along with it as that's what it's all about. And then we use information sometime from previous retreats. I remember when I was doing this really intensive retreat. I remember reading about how they do those Zen retreats. I remember this teacher who came from Burma, Japan, Korea, anywhere, generally not Tibetan, I must add. <laughs> <laughs> and these messages, oh, I go to hell for saying these things, these <laughs> <laughs> these messages get generated towards us and they help to reinforce the model. One ends up as the corporate meditator. <laughs> and I think the, the sadness of this, as I say, is that we can so easily forget that it's not the doing of it right, although care and attention to that is, of course, invaluable, but the heart's experience amid the form. What's the heart's response to the situation? Have we been feeling ourselves during today? Have we been feeling our hearts in all the diversity of the heart amidst the form?
And, and it's not easy, of course, to, to find that integration of the deeper intimations and experiences amidst the structure. But I do regard it as an invaluable exploration simply because our life is, in a way, dreadfully structured, dreadfully formalized, in which timetables and schedules, or schedules, I can't remember how you say it in a minute, <laughs> and, these, um, and arrangements and all those things, for most people here, belong to the, our everyday life. And so there is some corresponding element and that's why I say it's, it can be useful for us to explore. How's my feeling in these experiences? When we speak of our feeling realm, our uh, deeper feeling realm, as feelings per se, we're just speaking of the sensation or the feeling which is pleasant, which is unpleasant or painful, or somewhere in between in that spectrum. That's the, that's the feeling factor. The feeling factor, though, occurs in, with thoughts, with memory, with images, with perceptions, with the, with the body. But sometimes we get so preoccupied with the thoughts, with the perceptions, with the body, with the mindfulness, it's as though the feeling like how many feeling about this, feeling about that, gets forgotten. And, it, and, it, and it almost it, sometimes I think it's almost as though we put it aside because we're too much concerned with the other factors, the forms, the mindfulness, the attention, the posture, or whatever it might be. That can be a habit in our life. And I get a little concerned, just speaking at the larger level here, that unless we um, recognize and feel our world, there is a danger for us as human beings of just losing contact with that world. That world is only is present to us, our feeling life, especially the deeper and the wondrous feelings, through accessibility. And if we're, in our daily life, living in realms where it seems like that's not needed because efficiency is what's required and love and care and affection and warmth and tenderness and empathy and reverence, those feelings are not needed. There is a danger, a human danger, that in their neglect they begin to dry up and it becomes increasingly more difficult to gain access to such quality of life. And when that happens, of course, that brings all of its social, political, economic um, outplay. Because what one feels, and the concerns, and the ethics of all of that, and the tendernesses, and the reverences for life, all of that is seen to be something unrelated to reality. Imagine the, the human tragedy. 
and that is happening. And it is happening. It's happening in the business world, the political, economic world, as we know. So, here we have the forms, the timetable, the structures, the appointments, the system, the models, all of that's going on in this situation. Well, how's our feeling been today? What have we been feeling? What have we been noticing today? Now, sometimes what we experience in our uh, meditations is that we don't seem to have a feeling. It seems like, it sometimes seems rather arid and dry, and the feeling realm seems to just not be present. We then could artificially, or through willpower, stimulate feelings. We could create a catharsis situation, we could start imagining our worst nightmare, or whatever, and the possibility is it would provoke some kind of feeling. But one's faith and trust is, if one can just, in listening inwardly to oneself, and being quiet with oneself, just see and touch upon what the feeling is. And forget some of the form, being willing to sacrifice some of the form, just to gain some access to what the feeling is what one is feeling about a situation. And somewhere in our listening, one's confidence is that one will be able to pick up on that. In giving consideration to feelings and the spectrum of feelings, one of the things that's very important in this, I think it's humour, very healthy, and it's a great tragedy in uh, religious life that... Uh, the feelings of humour have got dispelled and dis- disregarded and, uh, and sometimes forgotten. And there's a kind of overall seriousness which begins to take place. And I think touching and having access with humour. And so sometimes we notice that in the middle of a situation where we're caught up in some little scenario, internal monologue or dialogue that's going on, and we fabricated a huge issue. And the mind has this incredible capacity to do it. Somewhere inside of oneself comes a little voice which sees the stupidity of it and the silliness of it, and one can actually laugh at oneself. And I think that kind of humour is a very wonderful humour. It can come quite spontaneously in the middle of something which has seemed to be a huge drama. And the capacity of humour to dissolve or to make a statement about a situation, I think is very, very, very wonderful capacity. And as I say, it can come quite spontaneously. When it does come, I think to respond, to, to hear the humour permeating a situation which one's made a drama out of, and to appreciate the liberating quality of what humour does. And that also can apply 
through situations which are around us, when there's a situation which really has upset one or concerned one or made one angry in some way or other, sometimes the humor factor comes through and it just takes the aggression out, it dissolves the anger. I think we need to listen to that and to regard humor as a liberator and as a, a, great, a great friend. And we see this too with stories, and we see this too with cartoonists or whatever, all using this resource. And it can be remarkably insightful as well. I just, you know, I'm, uh, having said that, I what flashes to mind is one or two stories which I really had to tell because I like them so much. The, um, the people who have focused on them wouldn't probably, may not appreciate them. I did in fact think of honestly writing to them and telling them the story. And one is from Chile. Quite a, as, as some of you, like myself, may have been very, very sympathetic to the uh, Allende government, which was quite a wonderful um, social experiment in which bringing the workers, unionists and agrarian reform towards a, a just and equitable society. And very, very tragic, tragically, 15 or 16 years ago, there was this uh, coup, Allende was um, murdered, and a very extreme right-wing regime took over Chile and, and uh, this General uh, Pinochet um, took control over, over Chile. And all the, there have been terrible consequences of this and all the complicity of CIA and other things. So recently there have been some elections in Chile and, and it seems that General uh, Pinochet is going to um, finish his questionable career and so he d the story goes that he decided to have um, stamps made um, of his, of his uh, face and head and shoulders displaying all his medals. And these stamps would be printed and would go on every envelope all over the country. And he was really proud of this and he had perfect photograph taken. So the workers in the stamp factory Rang him, rang him up and they said to him that General Pinochet, um, we have a terrible problem. Um, the stamps are just not sticking onto the uh, envelopes. <laughs> and Pinochet um, was absolutely furious and came rushing down to the, the stamp factory to, to the workers. And, um, and he picked up the first stamp there and he took hold of it and, and spat on the back and stuck it down. And they said, Oh, General Pinochet, we are so sorry. We were spitting on the wrong side. That kind of story. There's <laughs> 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 so a lot more than lots of our 
anger and aggression and, and, and fears and I, my wishes, that will be his lasting remembrance. But anyway. <laughs> so sometimes with the feeling realms, in spite of events, things can move and take place which act as a shift in consciousness in which things are seen afresh. But there's also other aspects too of the feeling God, um, the feeling um, realm which we live in. And that is in the overall situation. And what I mean by that, though in a situation like this, though there is much which is minimized in, in terms of normal human <coughs> access to each other. So generally speaking, in social dynamic and social interaction, the way that we have the opportunity to express feeling towards each other is usually through communication, through touch, through the uh, written word, and perhaps to some degree through eye contact. So there's some initial impact of contact which is made. We get familiar with certain modes of the contact, as I just said. From the certain modes comes the feelings and the feelings pleasant, unpleasant, or in between, through those kind of vehicles. Communication, written, talking, and so forth, touch. But we see to a very large extent that in a situation like we have here, there's little access to those vehicles. So that can leave one with the feeling of separation and isolation. In the feeling of the separation and isolation, it usually formulates itself as me and them. And the thought comes in like, almost like a wedge and it sets up the gap between me and others and the gap seems so real that one then begins to form various judgments into the gap. People are so cold, distant from each other, there's no love here, it's so dry, it's so this, it's so that, etc. So once the view of separation has been formed, once that's become the truth for the moment, it then gives the opportunity for the thoughts to justify the gap. And the thing is, when that's happening for us, it does seem to be the way things really are. But what, in a way, we are saying with our feelings is, I am missing being in touch and in contact through the channels which I know. Talking, socialising, touching, writing, or whatever. My missing of that means that I have this gap. But what we might ask with our feelings and our feelings with each other is that the only way to feel connection? Is that the only opportunity which is available to us? And I think for too long in our society we have 
just viewed it in those terms and we have not seen that very deep feelings can come without talking and without speaking and without touching and without verbalizing through paper or whatever. But since the realm of feeling empathy and connectedness in, no, in a way which is not of those ways is very unfamiliar, then it will seem rather dry and rather distant and rather abstract and rather formal. So then we might ask, well, what ways can we feel connectedness, sense that with each other? You know, sometimes I think this is a remarkable and lovely thing about uh, um, human beings that sometimes we get some information just from any part of the world and there's a certain kind of receptivity which we have which we can feel quite immediately for the plight and the situation of some others or group of people that we don't know, we have never met before or whatever. Not only that with ourselves as human beings, we can, we can feel even when it's a non-human world. One of the things which I've noticed in, in my uh, work is the depth of feelings coming from people who are responding to the plight of the tropical rainforest. It seems to be touching such deep chords in people. And I don't think it's just about the possibility that if it continues, it will threaten the ecosphere. I don't think it's just about preservation for the future, as much of those are important. But there's something about some organic feeling, some intimacy, which we have with the tropical rainforest, you know, we came, emerged out of them 60,000 years ago, it's our original home. And what I notice in talking with all manner of people, that something about the rainforest and that wondrous life there, some of you, I've, like myself, have been um, into the tropical rainforest, something about that touches an accord of feeling in some way or other, bypassing all the knowledge. And I think that's something which we can be very receptive to in many ways. question is, in this organic life, amidst this form of being here, in this situation, what ways can we find to respond to that? And I think that also occurs occurs here as well, in countless different ways. And I think it's a feeling response. Sometimes you, you notice, or I notice, and that some, even though the majority of people, the great majority of people are just doing the practice and walking mindfully and sitting mindfully, sometimes there's just a person here, a person there, who kind of stands out for us in a particular way. We don't quite know why. And just when we notice that person, there's a kind of uh, gentleness 
about that person. There's a way of being or walking or sitting. There's a, a sensitivity. Something that we sense we pick up. And this person's way of being in the practice touches us and we find ourselves appreciating and, and acknowledging. And I think these situations it means that something's responding inside of us. Something's connecting in some way or other, which our language has a, a job to formulate or, or to describe. And I think it's just one person doing her or his practice just touches us in that particular way. I think there's a, a significance about it. I think the meditation, it's doing its job. It's doing the work that it's intended to do. And in such a way that I, with regard to this, that in terms of the form and the structure and the timetable and its relationship to feeling and connectedness, that I feel that if, for example, the postman, the postwoman came off the, the street here, perhaps they, perhaps they didn't even speak any... Uh, English or you know, Spanish or whatever. And they just came into the room here and didn't understand anything about the form and the structures and the timetable <laughs> or whatever. And, you know, never heard of, you know, be here and now and things like that. That just by being in the situation with people quiet and still and not knowing anything about anything, which should be an immense blessing anyway, <laughs> that the situation would have its impact on the consciousness. Levels working and responding and meeting us, that the situation itself would bring change. Just through the power of the silence and the togetherness, without knowing anything about what's, what's happening or what is occurring. And I think that's all not a thought and description and language, but <laughs> something which is generating at other levels of our being, perhaps more important. Because if those levels of our being are touched, it will influence thought, influence speech and influence action. So sometimes during the day, when you're just sitting and just walking and just queuing for food, you're just being outdoors or I indoors, and you notice, you sense a, a feeling response in a situation. In the moment of feeling that response, I would say to drop everything else. Stop the walking for a moment, stop the mindfulness of breathing, stop the technique and the methodology or whatever, but just let the feeling element, just let that be very, very present. Let the aliveness of that be what one is here for. And, and having trust in that. Now for some people, as already as you um, have described in the small group situation, Sometimes there are some feelings which one describes as very difficult. Difficult to work with, difficult to be with, 
difficult to get in touch with. So sometimes one views the day, and we have to look at this for ourselves here with our feelings. For some people, being in the meditation room is sweetness itself. This might be hard to imagine for those of you who have <laughs> never known such pleasantness of feeling in, in here. But there are people for whom it is genuinely sweetness it itself. And the worst force of all is being in a small group situation upstairs in the room, or being involved in some work activity which involves discussion with other people, or whatever. So one could play it safe, sit cross-legged, no one, not going to have to talk, not going to have to communicate, or whatever, be peaceful, and just stay with the familiar, with the comfortable. But part of the work of understanding ourselves in these situations is to know that, and to appreciate that, of course. But hopefully, for that to be a resource, to be able to stretch oneself, to be able to go to the place where it's a little bit hotter, to brush the edge of that which one tends to shrink back from, and to see whether one can be graceful in oneself and allowing in oneself just to, without dramatics, take the risk to go to where feeling is uncomfortable. Sometimes it's in the small group situation. One is sitting there and the thought is arriving, oh, I've got nothing to say. This thought is a recipe for withdrawal. It's a sign so easily to keep back. And so, because of a certain tension, a certain self-consciousness, an awareness of what others might be thinking, this thought comes in as the rationalization in order to keep mum, to keep silent. The communication is, I've got nothing to say. That's, that's what needs to be said. And somehow or other, we can't sometimes see that because we're so intent on protecting ourselves from something which often is a storm in a teacup. We think it will be difficult to talk. To We think it will be difficult to say, I've got nothing to say. The difficulty is there. The di that's the difficulty in the moment. And as many of you report, when one just starts speaking, I've got nothing to say, Nothing's happening, it's just another day, my mind's wandering, my knee aches, and I feel tired, blah. <laughs> but just the willingness just to say that 
often transforms a state of difficulty to the thought afterwards, it wasn't so bad after all. So sometimes the thought and the holding which takes place, which is the holding back, the holding of the feelings, we think one is doing that so it won't be difficult. And forgetting it might just be the other way round. So there's lots of situations here where we can take time to pause, take time to look at what our feeling is, and take time to ask ourselves, you know, is there an area which I could explore within the situation that challenges me? There may already be enough going on for many people already without adding to it. <laughs> that I appreciate. But if you've done retreats before, you're familiar with the situation here before, and there's a certain degree of comfort lending itself to complacency, then one needs to stop and ask oneself, do I need, what do I need, what way do I need to be challenged here a little bit more? What, what ways could I just stretch myself a little bit more? Do I need to tune into feelings which are present, or feelings which I tend to steer away from. So that we use the resources and we don't prioritize the form over the feeling. As the, the Buddha said so beautifully, he says, the world comes together in feelings. The world comes together. The world meets in feeling. And it would be a pity if we neglected and forgotten that. It would be a pity if we're here and we, we forgot the lovely the greenery and the spaciousness and the sunrises and the sunsets and the light and the changing hours of the day and the temperature and the earth and the, and the vegetables and the plants and the weeds and the creatures and the human beings who surround us. All that's very, very vital part of the work and the awarenesses here, that we sense a world which is not restricted to concrete and tarmac and, and form and straightness and efficiency. I think we need our feelings need to explore that world, but never to submit to it. Never to conform to the models of efficiency. And things far more organic and profound and beautiful in life. And all of those forms, they need to be our servants. Not for us to be slaves to. So just when we here and the different forms of the day that we have here. Let's look at that relationship, very important relationship of our feeling life to the forms. 
because this is our world. And perhaps in the integration, in the discoveries which we can find there, perhaps there's not only hope for humanity and hope for the tropical rainforest, but also perhaps we're expressing something rather beautiful in life, that human beings have the immense capacity to transcend the limitations of form. May all beings see into life. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings be in touch with what is beautiful. So let's have our couple of quiet minutes together, shall we? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.